man, what a morning, right? Uh, just want you to know that we, we struggle when we cancel our in-person services because we love being together uh, physically, but we're so thankful that we have our online service that we're able to use on days like this. Uh, so getting together online is really important. You know, I was talking to a friend this morning and letting them know that it was not great outside, and so we were going to cancel our in-person gatherings, and I was told that really it's warm and cozy in bed. So, hey, if you are able to worship this morning from the warmth and coziness of wherever you are in your home, uh, glad that you get to do that. I do want to remind you to gather your communion emblems now if you haven't already. I know this was kind of a surprise, so if you haven't already, I hope that you'll do that now. And I want to let you know, those who are planning to come to the Legacy Planning Seminar, we have canceled that as well. That's probably just common sense if our services are canceled but I wanted to make sure that you knew that as well. Listen, you've heard us talking that we are in a series that we've called Streaks. And by Streaks, what we're talking about, and it's on the YouVersion Bible app, if you have that and you want to follow our notes this morning on that, uh, we're saying something, a streak is something that you want to do or not do intentionally and consistently because it gets you somewhere that you want to Go And so I've asked for your help in identifying some of those streaks, and that link is still in the YouVersion Bible Notes, so if you want to uh, click on that and send us your streak, that's great. But uh, uh, one that I've received is there's, someone said, there's this short game I like to play on my phone. It takes less than two minutes to play, and it tracks how many days in a row that you play. So years ago, I decided I would have my Bible time every day before playing that game. I am now on day 2,129, and I've seen my relationship grow immensely from being in the Word every day. That's a great streak. Uh, someone said, I pray, uh, praying with my wife every day so we grow in our faith and connection with God together, keep our hearts softened towards each other, and be encouraged by each other. Another great streak. Someone said, daily to never hope for Michigan to win at any sport, any time, and to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. <laughs> So uh, I'm just wondering, maybe we need to apply the book of Proverbs as well as read it. Uh, but continuing, someone else said this, and I, I love this, continuing my sobriety streak, currently it's 795 days as of today. And listen, if that's a streak that you're working on, uh, I just want to say it's worth the fight. I have friends who are in that fight, and, uh, and man, we just keep that streak going, keep it going. You know, the idea for this series is that there are habits uh, disciplines that, as disciples of Jesus, we need to develop in our lives if we want to grow in our faith, and these have the greatest impact on our lives if we do them consistently and often, daily for some, uh, weekly, or at least an intentional regularity for others. So, streaks, right? Uh, for those who are new to MCC, when we say disciples, so if this is the first time you're hearing this word, disciple, um, when we say disciple at MCC, what we mean is that someone who is following Jesus and being changed by Jesus and is committed to the mission of, of Jesus. So during the series specifically, what we're looking at are those habits, those disciplines, those streaks that we create that help us uh, be changed by him. And again, it's not that we try harder, but we get into this rhythm. We develop these spiritual muscles that then God uses to build us up as his children. So really, we're surrendering to the effect of what God will do in our lives. So we began with the disciplines that surround reading and reflecting on Scripture. Uh, uh, last week, we talked about 
uh, prayer, uh, making sure that our prayers on a daily, sometimes multiple times during the day, are for guidance and confession of sin, all right? And so today, we're looking at a conversation Jesus had that speaks about a third streak we need to be shooting for, which is, by the way, the biggest catalyst for those who are younger disciples. And by that, I don't mean your age. I don't even mean how long you've been following Jesus. As a matter of fact, you may have been following Jesus for decades and still be a young disciple just because you haven't matured. And this, if this habit's not part of your walk, I just want to say it's quite likely you will just stay in that young age range as a disciple. The street comes up in a conversation that started with the question, who is my neighbor? And we find out uh, that uh, being a good neighbor, read that disciple of Jesus, is really just about uh, opening your eyes to the simple needs of those around you. As you look around you and you see someone in need, what is it you can do about that? So let's check this out. A story that may be familiar to many of us. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, uh, we read, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm just, we'll stop for a moment. If you're going to test Jesus, what do you think you would ask him? Because I would probably uh, say something like, uh, Jesus, I'm thinking of a number between I and X. Roman numerals, get it? Uh, first century. Uh, this is, of course, why I'm not a lawyer or a comedian. Uh, but Jesus turns the question back on this guy. He says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, strict Orthodox Jews uh, wore these little leather boxes. They were called phylacteries. They'd put them around their wrists. They'd wear them around their neck. And inside these little leather boxes uh, were scriptures, passages of scripture, one of which was Deuteronomy 6, which says, you shall love the Lord your God. The other uh, was added uh, later by uh, uh, other religious leaders. Uh, Leviticus 19, the scribes added, uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so some of you may remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest, most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So look at how Jesus responds to this uh, law expert who has actually given him back that response. He said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, the whole thing was going really well for this guy until he asked the follow-up question. Hey, can you, let's clarify this whole neighbor thing, okay? And so Jesus answers his question with a story. He says, once upon a time, there was a Jewish guy who was walking home to Jericho from Jerusalem. He'd already been to the bank. He'd gone to the grocery store. He'd been to the dentist, had his teeth cleaned, maybe stopped by the red box on the way home to uh, get a movie. And he's on his way home. There's this 17-mile stretch of road that didn't have adequate lighting, there was no highway patrol there, and some gangbangers jumped him and robbed him and beat him. In, in the fifth century, Jerome actually tells us that this road was called the Bloody Way. This unfortunate man had been stripped, beaten, and left for dead. Jesus' audience that day knew how easily this story was reality in their day-to-day -day life. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And if this guy, by the way, is conscious at all, if he even has one eye that he can see out of, he's thinking to himself, oh, thank goodness, a priest. I thought maybe it was another thief coming you know, to finish me off. Now I'm safe because this is a man of God. And not just any man of God. The priest was considered the holiest person among all the Jews. He was 
He, he taught the scriptures. He was entrusted with offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. He was allowed to go further into the temple than the, the regular you know, people were. If anyone was going to reflect the character of God, it would be the priest. And when he saw the man, Jesus says he passed by on the other side. Read that. He went out of his way to avoid doing the right thing. One of, on his religious list of things that make God happy, this evidently didn't score highly enough. He had appointments to keep with religious people. Maybe he had other church business he had to attend to. Or maybe he thought, is this, is this guy's own fault? I, I mean, it's not my fault he's traveling on this dangerous road all by himself. Maybe, maybe he's a rival gang member. Or maybe he deserved it. What if he's a bad guy and I end up hap, uh, helping a bad guy? None of those actually sound much like Jesus, do they? Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now, the people in Jesus' audience would recognize what Jesus had just done in this story that maybe we don't pick up on. Jesus moved down the religious hierarchy one step to a Levite. Levites assisted in the temple worship and in caring for the temple. They were highly regarded in Jewish society, though not considered as, as holy as the priests. And when he sees this victim, he walks in to get a better look. It's like he's rubbernecking on this accident. But once his curiosity was satisfied, he too crossed the road and went on his way. Now, this guy has a reason for avoiding, uh, maybe, maybe the other priest did as well. And so this is in the notes, because I want to make sure you get this and that we all recognize this. There are legitimate and sometimes not so legitimate concerns for not serving people. See, God's law set up uh, things that were clean and things that weren't. Now, many of them had to do with germs that hadn't really been discovered or uh, at that point. It was the Levites who were to help keep the people clean. They were the ones who offered the sacrifices on other people's behalf so they could be in the presence of a holy God. And one of the rules that they had was about dead people. And the rule, what, rule was don't touch them, which in general is a pretty good rule when it comes to dead people. Uh, so if this guy goes over to help and rolls him over and finds him dead, he's contaminated for seven days. And he can't help other people who really need him. He won't be able to do his church job. This Levite had other considerations as well. But for whatever reason, this guy felt it was more important to try to please God by following the rules than by helping people. Which makes me wonder, by the way, how many MCCers would do something similar? We might drive by a need that we see on our way to a church function. <laughs> because we need to get to that church function. And we place that above helping whoever it is that we saw in, in need. Remember that these are the exact guys Jesus is telling the story to because we're about to get to an unexpected character and it's highly unlikely, actually, there's no way in the world that there was a Samaritan in the audience on that day. The Levite and the priests were the people that Jesus was addressing. And at this point, most people in the audience would assume that in progression, now Jesus is about to throw in a pious Jewish person, a layman, as it were, uh, who walked by and helped. But when he says a Samaritan came by, the place would have been deadly quiet. I mean, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. As a matter of fact, when you throw a Samaritan into this story the way Jesus did, the audience would have expected that he was going to say that the Samaritan came along and finished the guy off and took whatever was left uh, in his possession. But when he says, then a Samaritan came by, uh, it's kind of a plot twist. He's saying, you, listen, you religious people who think that you're loving God 
so well. I'm telling you that the greatest, second greatest commandment is important too, and you're missing the whole point, so much so that the people that you think are pagans are doing a better job of keeping this commandment than you are. So in your notes, I just want to make sure you get this. Disciples know that serving means caring enough to stop. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to care enough to stop to help people. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. In the notes, I put this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan all saw this guy, but they asked different questions. The priest and the Levite asked, if I stop to help this guy, what will happen to me? And listen, I get that question. I, I ask myself that question sometimes. If I step in here, if, if we, if, if MCC helps out in this situation, what's it going to mean What's it going to mean to me? What's it going to mean to us as a church if we help out here? Maybe it's going to put me at risk. Maybe I'm going to get engaged and get myself beat up. I mean, is that legit? I have a friend who spent time in a hospital and then months after that with a counselor because he stopped to help someone and, <laughs> and he got beat up. And the emotional damage that was done was horrible. Listen, those are legitimate concerns. But what I think is that more often than not, our concerns are a little less legitimate. Maybe it's going to throw me off my agenda. Maybe it's going to cost me something. So if you have the version notes open, you notice I didn't finish the quote by Dr. King. He said, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan all saw this guy, but they asked different questions. The priest and the Levite asked, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan asked a different question. He reversed it. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Just underneath that C.L. Milton said, it's a good thing to possess an accurate theology, but it's unsatisfactory unless that good theology also possesses us. You know, it's one thing to know all the stories, to know the songs that we sing, uh, to know the facts of Christianity, but those facts have to change how we live our lives. M my phone knows all of the verses in the Bible. Yours does too, but our phones are not disciples of Jesus. Our verses say the Samaritan took pity when he sees this guy. Literally, the word means his guts rose up inside of him. It's this deep innermost feeling that leads this guy to do something about it. He just has to stop. George Bernard Shaw said, the worst sin we can commit toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. The guy was naked. He was bleeding. He was half dead. This was messy. And listen, if we stop to help, we, we just might get messy as well. But that never stopped Jesus, and it shouldn't stop us. A disciple of Jesus hurts so deeply that he or she cannot not stop to help. We, we cannot not help. You're so full of the same kind of love that Jesus had that you're moved to action. A disciple of Jesus feels so deeply for the hurting, the outcast, the downtrodden, that she, he or she cannot not stop and help. You know, Chuck Colson, in his book, The Body, tells about a group who wanted to open a shelter for the homeless, so they bought a, a vacant house next to the church lot, and they asked the church if their volunteers could park in the church's lot, and the church reluctantly agreed. One night, one of the church leaders saw a homeless man uh, urinating in the parking lot, and so the church decided that they could no longer park on their property. And you know, I get that. I get it. I get it. You probably get that, right? I mean, we get it. I just don't think I would want to be part of a church like that. By the way, we're finding out here that the last guy you'd expect is sometimes one who is closest to the heart of God. 
again, in Jesus' story, the last person you would expect to be close to God is the one who's actually doing what God says to do. So I'm, so I'm going to serve my neighbors in such a way that they experience Jesus. That means as a disciple of Jesus, I have to stop. But I want to make sure you catch this too. Disciples know that serving means enough, uh, caring enough that we have to drop. So he stopped and he saw that this man needed help. He actually dropped down off of his donkey. If we were reading the King James Version uh, of this, it would be even more pointed, right? If we're going to uh, help, we have to get off our uh, donkey. So the first church uh, didn't have this problem. The Roman emperor Hadrian said of Christians in the first century, see how they love one another? They, they never fail to help the widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to those who have nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home as if he were another brother. But all of us together, we can, we can begin to serve those ways in a broken world. I mean, certainly we can start in our own neighborhoods, right? It's almost as if God has given us a great opportunity today to step outside our door and serve someone other than just ourselves. Maybe a, a neighbor recently had a baby. You could drop off a note or a casserole or someone's been sick. You can, you can drop off a meal. If a friend has gone through a difficult time, maybe with work or at her family, you could just sit and listen to her. As disciples, if we're going to care like Jesus cared, that means we know that we're going to have to stop and we're going to have to drop. But disciples know that serving means caring enough to roll. Uh, verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on wine, oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Roll out some cash. That's what, that's what this guy did. He just reached into his satchel and he took out some of what he had. Some of what he had, he shared it. It's the stuff, I'm trying to make this obvious, it's the stuff that he had. We're not talking about what you don't have, we're talking about what you do have, right? It wasn't big stuff, it was just some oil and wine. Everybody carried that in that day. It was kind of like their first aid kit, that's why they had that with them. So he just reached into his pocket. And notice, I want to make sure you catch this, the Samaritan went on to do whatever his business was. He helped the guy, he paid for his care, and then he left. Now, it may also be fair to surmise that the Samaritan here didn't just drop everything to help this guy. You know, I think that what Jesus is saying here is that being a good neighbor is not about emptying your savings account or quitting your job, although it's possible God may call you to do that. But typically, I don't think that's going to be the case. Being a good neighbor is just opening your eyes to the simple things that you can do to help someone in need. So he picks this guy up, he cleans him up, and he cares for him. And he tells the innkeeper, when I return, and that's really important. He didn't just drop everything and quit his job to sit by his bedside, but he came back. And don't you think that when he came back, this Jew and this Samaritan probably struck up this unlikely friendship, maybe, maybe a lifelong friendship. And I realize, right, I realize this isn't a, a one-shot thing. I'm in this for the long haul. That's how we treat our neighbors. We're in this for the long haul. So in your notes, the choices we make reveal the true nature of our character. Maybe, maybe this is why Jesus said, you accomplish my mission when you make choices that connect you with and help you serve your neighbor. It reveals the nature of Jesus' character that lives inside of us. Look at verse 36. 
which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. I want you to notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, the Samaritan. That's what we say, right? The Samaritan, the good Samaritan. He said, uh, it was the, uh, this is the third guy, right? But he wouldn't even say the word. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning, Jesus is also saying to us what he was saying to him. We can learn from the very ones that we think we can learn the least from. We can learn the most from the very ones we think we can learn the least from. You know, Peter would write, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And you and I can do that right here at MCC. I asked our staff this week, what are our top needs right now? I was told office hosts. And so if you have time during the week that you'd like to volunteer in our office, we need office hosts. We need men and women uh, in our nursery to be nursery workers. We need men and women in our elementary ministry to be classroom helpers. And so we have needs here in, in our family, right, here at MCC. But I want to say that we practice serving in here so it's not so foreign when we get out there. That's what's really important. We practice things here so that we can go do that in real life with real people that we live around or go to school with or have a locker next to or work next to or that we see in the grocery store, right? God calls us to use our time because that's the fuel of the mission. And so I put this in your notes because I know you're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy, all right? I'm not calling you to prioritize your time uh, that, uh, to what is going to last forever. I'm not asking you to forfeit your family. I'm not asking you to quit your job. I'm not asking you to not rest. I'm not asking you to not have hobbies. But I'm calling to, to have you prioritize God above all of those things. Listen, it doesn't just cost something to follow Jesus. It costs everything to follow him. Jesus said this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our time of communion primarily is to remind us that Jesus gave his life as a ransom, as he just said, as a ransom for you and me. Today it also needs to remind us that we need to center our lives on him and follow his example by serving other people. And our taking communion is a time to recommit ourselves to him and to become like him by developing this habit, this discipline of serving, it makes you grow to be more like him. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll take communion together, all right? Father, thank you for uh, the ability we have to gather together. Um, those of us who are in the room right now, but that most of us are online still gathered together. And so God, thank you for that. And we, we gather to sing to you. We gather to hear your word. We gather to remember because it draws us back to who Jesus is, not who he was, but who he is. <coughs> and calls us to become like him as well. And so thank you for this moment when we get drawn back to the cross, back to the empty tomb, and back to the life that we have been called to live. So as we take these emblems that remind us of Jesus' body and blood that were given for us, 
We want to honor you in that remembering, but, but not just look back. May it propel us forward, even today, to have opportunities to serve our neighbors. Father, we love you, and we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. And so we take the, the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And Jesus said, whenever you do this, remember me. So we remember. And the juice that reminds us of his blood. Jesus said, whenever you drink this, remember me. And so we remember. Now I'm going to ask you to take just a moment to talk to Jesus about your relationship with him and where you stand in being like him in serving others. Father, we are grateful for a reminder like this because it, <laughs> it makes us stop and say, I love you, or not, if we're being honest with ourselves. We, we have to fall on one side of that or the other. I love you so much that I just cannot help but live my life for you. And so that also means that we need to ask forgiveness for where we've fallen short, and sometimes it's in this area of serving that we've just fallen short. We've seen needs and we walked right past them and we're no different than the religious leaders in Jesus' story. Help us to be like the Samaritan. Help us to serve those that we see in need in such a way that they see you and your heart living in us and the power of your kingdom living through us and the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we take our steps forward. So may these emblems that take us back to the cross and the empty tomb, may they pro propel us forward today so that other people can see you living through us. And Jesus, we pray this in your powerful name. Amen.